Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. I got a special treat for you this evening. A young man that you all know is Joe the Policeman from the What's Going Down episode of That's My Mama. I want you to put your hands together and welcome him to the stage. Big round of applause for Jackson Heights' own Mr. Randy Watson. Yes, Randy Watson. Conversations about collaboration, episode 11. Slack's Bear Douglas joins me to talk about collaboration from the developer's perspective. We discuss a whole bunch of tools, including Slack's workflow builder, why some people are loath to embrace the true power of these collaborative tools, and how some Slack customers are doing absolutely ridiculous things with Slack and third-party apps. Let's get this started. Bear, where does this pod find you? Physically? In San Francisco. Uh, yeah, I live in Noe Valley, so more or less smack dab in the center of the 7x7. Hmm. Let's get right into it. Um, unlike the previous guests on the podcast, you offer a very different perspective working with developers. In a couple sentences, explain what you do at Slack. Sure. So my team works with developers who are using Slack's platform either to build apps that go in our public app directory, so for anyone to consume and use in their daily work lives, or who are building apps just for their own team. Um, and to give you a sense of scale, there are about 2,600-odd apps in the app directory, but more like 800,000 weekly active apps that are built by people just customizing Slack for their own teams to use. So we help developers from, from all types of backgrounds get that done. I can speak about Slack, Zoom, and Microsoft Teams, and they're all, I think, converging. We can talk about whichever one's better. I'm sure you have your own opinion. I do too. <laughs> but I find it interesting that they're all kind of going in the same direction. But when I talk to regular people about whether they use Slack, Teams, or Zoom, they usually only use just a small part of it. In the case of Zoom, it's video calls. I go, well, you know, there's a phone system and they've got webinars and you can use channels for messages a lot like Slack or Teams. Or with Teams, say, well, you can connect Outlook to it or Zoom to it. Or with Slack, you can connect a zillion things to it, as you know. Um, a few people realize that. I'd love to get your thoughts about why, because they're they're missing out, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for for a lot of people, you, you have to see it to be it, right? So the thing that people are most familiar with, I think, is Giphy, because at this point, it's become pretty commonplace to spice up your workplace communication with emoji and with GIFs. And so if if you ask people, hey, have you ever used Slack's platform? People might say, I don't think so. But then you ask them, have you ever written slash Giphy to send a GIF? They'll say, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a you can think about whether or not people need to realize explicitly that they're using an integration. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but it definitely does help people understand that there's more that they can do once they start noticing these types of messages from apps or different functionality that's enabled through apps, usually because somebody else that they're in a channel with did it first and they they wanted to know, hey, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. Is it a mindset thing? Because my first instinct when I screw around with a new tool is to say, how can I connect this to something else? So just as an example, the other day, I signed up for Airtable and I was just looking for an excuse and I came up with one. And I immediately said, I've got to be able to connect this to Slack. And it took about eight seconds. Mm. Is it just that people haven't seen it 
because it required, I mean, I'm more not as technical as you, but I know my way around a computer. It really takes zero technical skill. I think it just starts with the question or the curiosity of saying, hey, can we make this better? Yeah, definitely. And for a lot of people, that is that is the thing that they seek out, right? Like they they find our tool workflow builder, for example. That's a it's a no-code tool that lets people automate certain workflows that you might have in Slack. Like, for example, if you were trying to run a daily standup where you were pulling people in a channel about, you know, what what did you do today? You could pop up a form at a certain time for them to fill out and they could post those results back to channel. That type of of quick automation you can do in Slack without knowing how to code. And so for the people who are are like you and get into a new tool in this area, what can I do with this? How can I stretch its limits? They're bound to find Workflow Builder. But there are plenty of people who you know are coming to Slack for the first time because their new office place mandated it and they've never used it before. And all they know is that they need to catch up on a lot of the content. And when you're when you're really using Slack for the content primarily, um, that's your your first step is like, all right, what channels do I need to be in? And for many people, that's that's leap enough, right? Like organizing information instead of into email threads and instead of into groups of people into topic channels. Like if you if you think about the way you behave in a consumer messaging app, you usually organize conversations by groups of people. If you and I had a DM, let's say, with with one other person, we would only have that one thread. We wouldn't have multiple copies of that thread for the times that we want to talk about our pets and the times that we want to talk about work things, right? But in Slack, that's it's inverted. And you might have multiple channels that are exactly the same group of people, but because you're trying to keep the information sorted, you end up with multiple channels. And so for a lot of people, even that leap is something that that is is plenty of discovery in and of itself. Hmm. Over time, then, as they get accustomed to it, are they more open to not only the native apps, but Workflow Builder, as well as creating custom third-party hooks and all sorts of cool things? Definitely. Um, once people are, are acclimated and they're excited to know that the tool can do more, they're very interested in finding out how they can extend Slack. But for many people coming to it for the first time, step one is let me get comfortable before you show me all 50,000 things that this tool can do. Um, I kind of feel similarly about Photoshop. Like I can, I can do some pretty basic stuff with the blur tool, but I, I know there's plenty more that Photoshop can do. Um, but I had to dip my toe in before, before mm. I could really, you know, get, get comfortable with everything that it's powerful enough to do. The way I like to think of Workflow Builder is almost a cousin of some of the visual WordPress tools that let you drag and drop as well as, and I'm dating myself here, but when I was teaching myself databases back in 1998, I was playing with Microsoft Access. And Access was great for a limited purpose, but it certainly wasn't an enterprise tool. It wasn't SQL Server. It wasn't any any sort of relational database at that scale. But then I would go into a query that I wrote because I joined two tables and go, oh, this is an interjoin in SQL. Um, Is that a decent analogy for people who maybe aren't familiar with Workflow Builder? Yeah, I, th- I think at a, uh, definitely at a, at a certain level, yes. Um, and we hope that people will will have that realization where they're able to relate it to other tools that they're familiar with because it's not it's not something that's completely brand new. It's it's a set of familiar concepts that are made a little bit easier to execute on. If that makes sense. Yeah, it also reminds me a bit of macros in say Excel. Yeah, or if you're a Mac person, Automator. I mean, if you want to code scripts from scratch, you can, 
right? And nothing would stop you. But I'm of the opinion that if there's an existing workflow and I loved how, because I was a beta tester of that, I guess it was maybe 18 months ago. And oh, cool, you can export it. So it doesn't just have to live in one workspace. And I thought, oh, that's really neat. That way I don't have to recreate it from scratch. Totally. Um, And it's been really interesting thinking through with customers uh, visibility of workflows, how they get discovered, how they get shared, and so on. Because since they are a powerful thing, and like you said, since you can export data out of them, many uh, many admins at customer companies are interested in keeping track of what people are doing with Workflow Builder, where the data is going, and so on. And so uh, building something that feels simple can be deceptively hard because feeling simple hides a lot of complexity. Yeah. Well, that's kind of an abstract notion. Let's be more specific. Um, Maybe you can tell me about a Slack client that's doing really cool things with these third-party integrations. Totally. Um, So third-party integrations or things that they've built themselves or a little bit of both? Either, both. (laughs) So um, DocuSign has has revamped their employee onboarding using Workflow Builder. um, And they've built a workflow that in when a new member is invited to their team channel, it pops up a form for them to tell the team a little bit about themselves. Um, It has a specific set of questions and then it auto posts it back to the channel. And it also greets that, that new member with uh, information about their team and channels where they can find more information to get onboarded. So it does this, this two way job of one, giving them the information they need and giving them a fun, happy social introduction in the workspace. Um, and that's reduced their onboarding time significantly um, because everything is just taken care of in this automated fashion. And it's not, you know, up to one manager to remember all of the, the different things that you need to do to, to onboard an employee. Um, when it comes to cool things that people have built for themselves, um, Hearst has a bot that they call Hans bot. Their Hearst answers and news... Shoot, I have to remember what, what else Hans stands for. But basically what it does is it gives anyone inside Hearst access to analytics about how different pieces of content are performing. And it can take natural language queries. Like you can say, what were the top performing pieces of content in L last month? And it will interpret that and give you results. And um, because of being able to spot trends faster, uh, they were able to raise their total number of YouTube views by I think 50%. And tripled their e-commerce revenue from uh, content syndicated between their different publications. So this is something that was massively helpful for them to have built. Um, it saves a ton of employee time too. I think it saves on average an hour per employee per day of just having access to this bot. And so it was it was a substantial undertaking for them to to build all of this into Slack, but it has had massive benefit for them as well. Those are two great examples, and I want to come back to them. First, with DocuSign, I find it really interesting that they've done that type of thing internally, given that at, was it Frontiers, they announced the new DocuSign app for clients, not for employees, right? Is that fairly common? If an organization builds a third-party app for others, they take a look at how they're using the collaboration hub and saying, well, why aren't we doing more with it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, so the the DocuSign app and the way that they have set up their internal onboarding with Workflow Builder, they, they do solve two different problems. But yeah, we definitely do see that our partner companies who are building apps for the directory do tend to be more sophisticated customers because if they're if they're involved at the point at which they're putting something out in the public app directory for people to consume and get more out of Slack, then yes, they, they do think, all right, 
are we getting the most out of Slack that we possibly could be? Mm. I suspect that very few organizations, not just Slack, but just in general, when it comes to these hubs, for all sorts of reasons, are only getting 10 or 15% of the value out of it. And I think about what you talked about with Hearst and Hans, about how you could ask it questions in natural language, and it would tell you. But then the next question is, well, will the app or the integration tell them, hey, here's an alert. You need to pay attention to X because this is trending or something like that. That I don't know. I I think that it might, but I'm I obviously have not used Hans directly myself. So um yeah, all of that is is logic that they built themselves. Um the integration with Slack is the piece that helps them really build it into their workflow and the, the flow of communication so that they have access to answers when they need it. They can share with other people really quickly. Um but they did of course put substantial work into building Hans. Mm-hmm. Fast forward and look, say, into uh, in my new book, I, there's a chapter, Workday 2028. And I liken it to the movie Her with uh, Joaquin Phoenix from Spike Jones when he falls in love mm-hmm. with an operating system. Yeah, That's how I kind of envision these internal collaboration hubs working with us. So to use your example before, when someone's um, just becoming accustomed to channels, right? And how do you find the right information? Or do you have workflow builders saying, hey, you work in the marketing department, you may want to subscribe to these eight channels as opposed to looking through a list of a hundred and trying to pick the ones that you think matter, even though the naming convention should help. Mm. What do you think it looks like when it comes to technology and put on your sorcerer hat for a minute? Where is all stuff going? I have my opinion, but I'd love to hear yours. Um, well, I, I do think the, the personalization and the smart understanding of which channels you need to be paying attention to, what words you need to be paying attention to, and unifying some of that information across systems is is where we're going. So for example, let's suppose that you are a product manager on Project Falcon. And this is, you know, your internal code name. And inside your company, you can today set up a code word alert for Falcon. So anytime somebody says Falcon in a public channel, you'll you'll get a notification. You can follow up. But imagine what you really want to know is whenever some team that may or not may or may not be working directly with you is touching a part of the code base that matters to the project that you're doing, or they have a ticket in Jira that has a dependency on your team. Having some sort of understanding across all of the various systems, especially in large companies, that could affect you and where you need to be paying attention so that you don't necessarily need to be proactive all the time in checking in with a bunch of different teams. Hey, what's on your roadmap? What's going on next quarter for you? You kind of get that smartly fed to you so you know where you need to pay attention. That's that's the kind of next layer of intelligence and awareness that I think we will see a lot more automation around in the next several years. Interesting. That reminds me of a story I was reading about a month ago or so. Have you heard of Rike? It's another project management tool. Yeah. So they announced that they were embedding machine learning and AI into their tool in such a way that the project would learn, right? So it wouldn't just be, I need to know what's in you know, standard red, right? Not green, not yellow, or uh, to your point, a specific keyword. But it would learn with re- in respecting privacy, all the different things might say, well, you haven't done this project yet, and it's not overdue yet, but based on what we've learned 
there's a good chance that it will become problematic, even though it's green, it could become yellow or red. And that just started blow my, to blow my mind because I think, again, that a lot of people just use those tools for the X's and O's and don't think a lot about how much more you'll be able to do with this when you grab all this data, put it in one place, right? Or if it's in another system, it links into a hub like Slack or Teams or Zoom or whatever. And then you start to analyze that data. It becomes less a matter of finding something and the hub tells you, you need to pay attention to this. Totally, which is really impressive. The future is now. I guess my 2028 prediction is probably more like a 2023 prediction, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating stuff. Um, you know, um, any tips you would give your younger self when it comes to collaboration? Because I know that it's more art than science. Uh, yeah. Um, or yourself from maybe five or 10 years ago. Yeah, probably, probably more like, 10 plus years ago, but I think this is common for, for anybody coming out of a world where uh, in, for example, academia, if you're trying to do, not, not academia even, <laughs> like just school, because academia is very collaborative. Um, if, you're, if you're used to having your work get evaluated at a point where it's completed, it's, it's very tempting to like work in a silo, not show it to anyone, not show it to anyone, and then com- present a completed view. Um, and I think my advice to my former self about collaboration is the sooner you invite other people into your work, the better it's likely to be because you'll be able to do a bunch of iteration cycles and uh, to worry less about uh, having that first draft be so gleamingly perfect that everyone thinks, wow, what an amazing job you did. And more uh, to to think about the end destination you're getting to rather than a uh, first draft being ideal. Hmm. I think it was Reed Hoffman who said it. You're not embarrassed by your first beta. You've waited too long. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. We'll get you out here on this. Uh, What book are you reading right now? Oh, (laughs) I've been reading and rereading a lot of uh, YA fantasy, if I'm honest. (laughs) Um, uh, A recent recent one I was reading was uh, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. She's a a relatively young author, and she is Nigerian American and has uh, that book and a sequel. Um, it, I think it's going to be a trilogy. It's been a very good escape in, uh, in pandemic times to think about other worlds, for sure. Hey, Bear, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not? Please download, like, or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.